0: You know, if you have a faithful spouse or a faithful friend, or you think of a parent or grandparent, their faithfulness to you probably means the world. Something that you could count on. Someone who had your back. Well, the church in Philadelphia was faithful. And this was the Lord's word about them. This was his commendation. Philadelphia was faithful. Oh, I pray that, Lord, you'd find me faithful. We're going to learn more about Philadelphia's faithfulness in Revelation chapter 3 today on walk in truth welcome to the walk in truth weekend program these are the teachings of pastor michael lance it's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with god's truth to all people now here's pastor michael now jesus in his subjugation or his uh voluntary uh Submission to the Father in the Incarnation took on humanity. He did not subtract deity. He added humanity. God cannot stop being God. So it was not the subtraction of deity when Jesus became a man. It was the addition of humanity. Always remember that. That's the mystery of the Incarnation. Jesus in Philippians 2.6 had equality with God, but he did not grasp onto it. He released it for a season as he came down to the earth and was made in the likeness of men. Everybody with me? You can't be called equal with God unless you're God. To whom will you liken me, says the Lord? Who will you call my equal? When Jesus opens in Revelation 3, just flip back to Revelation in verse 7, he says, I am the Holy One, I am the True One. He is the Holy One of God. Just flip ahead to Revelation 4 for a second. Revelation 4, look at verse 8. Revelation 4, 8 says these words. And the four living creatures, each of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Flip ahead to Revelation 6, look at verse 10. The martyrs crying out to God, they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord? What's your Bible say there? Holy and true, wilt thou refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth. My point is this. This is a claim emphatically to Jesus being God. He is the holy one, and he is the true one. Holy and true, the combination of purity and otherness, combined with the word true, which in Greek is alathinas, We have a few people in our congregation that are named Alethea or Alethea. That is the Greek word for truth. And so Jesus Christ is the true one. He is the, the idea, scholars that look at the language say when you see true, it means genuine. He is genuine. He is real. He is authentic. When I became a Christian, that's one of the things that was driving me. I was looking for things that were true and real and authentic. Amen? You may be doing that tonight. Maybe you're wondering, is there anything in this world? You know, sometimes you run into people and you're like, man, that person's a phony. That person turned their back on me. That person did this. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is pure. He is genuine. He speaks the truth. Uh, the Old Testament sense, by the way, of being true also connects with the idea of being faithful, which uh, fits with this church. He who has received his witness has set his seal to this, that God is true, John 3.33. Uh, he who speaks for himself seeks his own glory, says Jesus, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent me, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. And then one more, i got to show you Revelation 19. We'll see this later, but Revelation 19, look at verse 11. I saw heaven opened, Revelation 19, 11, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it is called faithful and true. This is Jesus. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. So Jesus Christ is the faithful and true one. Go back to Revelation 3, verse 7. As he addresses the church at Philadelphia, he says, I am faithful. I am true, or I am holy, I am true. And he who has the key of David, who opens, and no one will shut, and he shuts, and no one opens, says this. Now, back in these uh, areas, when I was telling you that a lot of the ancient churches were dealing with synagogues in the area, and a lot of them were dealing with being excommunicated from the synagogue. In fact, some of the Jews were finding shelter underneath the roof of the synagogue from the imperial cult, the uh, emperor worship that was going on. And I've explained to you that if you could find some sort of shelter underneath the synagogue, you would not have to honor the emperor. But the Jewish leadership was basically trying to separate themselves from Christians. And they were saying, no, they're not even a sect of Judaism. We have nothing to do with them. So Christians were becoming exposed. And in essence, what the synagogue was doing was locking out the Christians. They were excommunicating Christians. And of course, a lot of Christians didn't care anyway because they didn't necessarily want to be part of the synagogue. But you guys might remember that in the ministry of Jesus Christ, there were a lot of occasions when uh, what was at stake was being kicked out of the synagogue. Remember the story of the blind man? His parents, John 9.22, are fearful... It was fear of the Jews lest they be kicked out of the synagogue. There were religious leaders later on in the Gospel of John who were not confessing Jesus publicly because they didn't want to be kicked out of the synagogue. When you were kicked out of the synagogue, by the way, your name could be erased from the rolls of the, the synagogue, but you could also lose your social standing and even your ability to work And in a lot of these cities, your ability to even be protected from Rome, there was a lot at stake. Can you imagine what was going on here in in terms of the, the hatred that was coming at the Christians? You know, so much persecution in the early centuries of the church was coming from people who said they were religious. Saul of Tarsus, if you had coffee with Saul, was a religious man. But what did he do? He was persecuting the church. And I'll tell you what, you look at the history of the world and a lot of persecution that's happened uh, in the church or to the church has come from people who claim to be religious. And still today, not much has changed. If you want to write down those verses about being locked out of the synagogue, John 9.22, John 12.42, and John 16.2, where Jesus says the future is going to come when they will kick you out of the synagogue on account of my name. Being locked out of a place is a bummer. How many of you have ever been locked out of someplace? Uh, if you locked your, well almost all of you. So uh, if you've locked your keys in the car, I know with, with a lot of the modern vehicles, it's almost impossible to do, but still we find a way. <laughs> so if you lock your keys in the car, it's a bummer because you have to confess it to somebody, right? Unless you call AAA, right? Then that guy, you're usually anonymous with that guy unless he knows you from somewhere, right? But... If you've been locked out of your house, that's got to be one of the worst things. Have you ever done one of those things where, you know, getting everything together, maybe you're rushing off to work, and you close the door and you go, oh, no! My wife told me to put that hide-a-key, but I didn't do it, and now I'm out, locked out of my own house. How many of you have been on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride where that dog's holding the keys, and those guys are in the prison <laughs> trying to get the attention of that dog. Man, he's holding all the power. He who has the keys has the power. And what was basically happening was the Christians in Philadelphia were locked out. Nobody seemed to want them. They were outcast to Rome. They were kicked out or excommunicated from the synagogue. And they had to be asking, man, do we have any place? Are there any open doors to us? Is there anybody who cares about our plight? You know, you may feel that way tonight. I know sometimes it's hard when people become Christians in families where there's a bunch of atheists, or there may be another religious foundation in that household, and one becomes a Christian. You know, we listened to a testimony from Sahar on Sunday, right? I mean, again, you, you have someone who, it's not easy sledding to become a Christian in a lot of these contexts. And, you know, the Christians would often find themselves alone and locked out. But Jesus says, I'm the one, verse 7, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. Now, I think the immediate setting here uh, has to do with access to God. You know, you may have difficulty in terms of your life and circumstances that may happen as a result of being a Christian, but no one can ever, if you're a Christian, lock you out from access to God. Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep, right? You enter in through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can lock you out of the presence of God. I don't care where you are. A prison cell, uh, waiting at a door, whatever it is. Jesus is the reality. It's not about a building. It's not about a place Christianity is about a person. Nothing will ever separate you from his love. Not angels, not principalities, not powers, not height, not depth, not any other created thing will ever be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Amen? So there are people in our world today who don't, they're not able to go to a church. Why? Because the church is underground. There are people who have to walk miles in some areas just to find a church that's actually meeting somewhere in their region. But nothing could ever separate you or lock you out from God's presence. Nothing. Now, scholars are quick to point out, that, and you might want to write this down, that the key of David, Isaiah 22, write down verses uh, about 15 through 25, refers to Eliakim, the treasurer or steward to King Hezekiah of whom almost identical words are used. He controlled entrance into Hezekiah's palace and presence because he was entrusted with the key of David. Eliakim had the key to all the treasures of the king. The background is the oracle against Shebna. uh, Hezekiah is the previous guy who held the, the uh, the key. And he had to be removed and he was replaced by Eliakim. And Eliakim held the key to the access to the king and to the treasures. And that's the parallel from Isaiah 22 to Revelation 3. To have the key is to have access. The keys of the kingdom were given to the apostles, right? As they preached the gospel, they were given the keys. Peter went in the book of Acts and he opened the door to the Jews, Acts chapter 3. You've been listening to the Walk in Truth weekend program. You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Visit the Walk in Truth store today and get the DVD series in Revelation by Michael Lance. The book of Revelation reveals the person and work of Jesus Christ. This book will give you a unique glimpse into heaven and the worship that happens there. It also reveals the future. We see the seven-sealed scroll, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the mark of the beast, and learn about the new heaven and the new earth. Join Michael Lance in these DVD series of the dramatic, often sobering book, Visit the Walk in Truth store today to order your copy of the DVDs, all available to help you dive deeper into the book of Revelation. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. There are people who have to walk miles in some areas just to find a church that's actually meeting somewhere in their region. But nothing could ever separate you or lock you out from God's presence. Nothing. Now, scholars are quick to point out, that, and you might want to write this down, that the key of David, Isaiah 22, write down verses uh, about 15 through 25, refers to Eliakim, the treasurer or steward to King Hezekiah of whom almost identical words are used. He controlled entrance into Hezekiah's palace and presence because he was entrusted with the key of David. Eliakim had the key to all the treasures of the king. The background is the oracle against Shebna. Uh, Hezekiah is uh, uh, the previous guy who held the the, king, uh, the key. And he had to be removed and he was replaced by Eliakim. And Eliakim held the key to the access to the king and to the treasures. And that's the parallel from Isaiah 22 to Revelation 3. To have the key is to have access. The keys of the kingdom were given to the apostles, right? As they preached the gospel, they were given the keys. Peter went in the book of Acts and he opened the door to the Jews, Acts chapter 3. Then he opened the door to the Samaritans, Acts chapter 8. Then he opened the door to the Gentiles, Acts chapter 10 quite interesting to think about Jesus said and you will be my witnesses acts 1:8 and i will give and i and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem acts 3 where peter pre- preached in judea samaria that's acts 8 where they came after the preaching i think it was philip and acts 10 uh, to the uttermost parts of the earth as he goes into the gentile household of cornelius Jesus says, I give you the keys. I'm going to heaven. You're going to stay on earth. And when you stay, you're going to preach the message and people are going to come to me. And in essence, they had the key of David, the key to the presence of God, to the way of God. And by the way, the church now carries the keys. In every generation, the church has been asked to, be, to protect the key and to pass it on to the succeeding generation. Those of you who are young tonight, at some point, we're going to get old and tired. We're pretty much there. (laughs) That's a joke. (laughs) Sort of. Anyway. And you're going to take the keys. And it will be called upon you to be found faithful. You hearing me, young people? I see you. It's going to be your turn to not water down this gospel. To preach it faithfully to preach it with love and faithfulness. I heard a story of a pastor, I think he was in the same pulpit for 50 years. Think of Charles Stanley, Chuck Swindoll, you know, guys that we take for granted. They've been preaching, John MacArthur, they've been in the same pulpit for 50 years, some of them. It's amazing to me. But that's what it means to be found faithful, to fight one more round, to go one more inning, to keep swinging by the power of the Holy Spirit. Of course, Jesus says in Revelation 1.17, He says, I have the keys of death and of Hades. Jesus has the keys. No one's going to lock you out. Someone can kick you out of a church, and hopefully, if they ever kicked you out of a church, it would be for noble reasons, right? There were people getting kicked out of the synagogue. There were people, you know, all kinds of stuff was happening. But uh, Jesus says, I am the root and the offspring of David. I'm the bright and morning star, Revelation 22, 16. So look at Revelation 3, 8. He says, I know your deeds. And he says, behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power. Now an open door which no one can shut sounds like Jesus is the one who has the open door. Paul sometimes used the idea of an open door in terms of an opportunity to preach. Now think of this. He has the key. The key is primarily access to God, I think in context, taking with Isaiah 22, but the idea of a key also connects to the gospel. This church, situated geographically at the gateway to the east where Philadelphia was known to spread Hellenism to the ancient world, you say, what's Hellenism, Pastor Michael? Hellenism was Greek culture and philosophy and religion. So under Alexander the Great, when you look at world history, Alexander conquered the known world, And then they tried, under the tutelage of his teachers, philosophers, to spread Hellenism throughout the world. Well, Jesus said to Philadelphia, uh, since you're at such a strategic location where they wanted to spread Greek culture to the world, why don't you use the open door to spread the gospel to the world? Amen? And so that's exactly, I think, the second part. But you would expect to say, because you have good power, you have a lot of people, but he says you have little power, which uh, the Greek word here is mikros for little. And uh, I think when you read on this, you'll see scholars say that it probably means that they were a little church. Sometimes we think that only big churches can make a difference in a city. How many people did Jesus change the world with? Twelve. Twelve people. You add in Matthias, if you believe Matthias is the twelfth, or the Apostle Paul, if you believe Paul is the twelfth. They did lose Judas, but with 12 men, or you, if you want to say 13, they changed the world. Peter opened the door to the Jews, the Samaritans, and the Gentiles in concert with, of course, the other um, apostles. What have you done lately? You tried using your keys? <laughs> you told anybody lately, Hey, hey, I got a, I got a key that's pretty cool here. It's not, you know, sometimes they give people a key to the city when you're a big shot somewhere. You get the key to the city! I don't know what that really means, because I'm sure it's not a key that opens every door, but I think that means if you go to a restaurant, you eat for free, or you want to go see this or do this, but you have the key to the kingdom, folks. You know the one who is the way. And so the open door, I think, also means um, that we're ambassadors for Christ. Jesus said, don't be afraid, little micros flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sometimes we think we're so small. Sometimes we say things like this. What can I do? What can I accomplish? I'm just one person. Ever said this before? I'm the only Christian in my family. I'm the only Christian in this company. What can I do? Well, if you sit there long enough and say that, my answer will be nothing. Nothing. If you're going to sit there and cry about it, Nothing. But you with God happens to be a majority. Do you believe that? You know, the, we, have, we have prophets in the Bible who said, there's everybody, everybody's gone, there's nobody left, I'm the only one, just kill me now. Right? And God would say, no you're not. I have plenty of people who haven't bowed their knee to Baal yet. This church said, Lord, no matter what happens, no matter what comes against us, no matter what we get locked out of, we are going to stand. And You have kept my word. You have not denied my name. End of verse 8. You've kept my word. You have not denied my name. There's there's Philadelphia. You want to know what faithfulness is? Faithfulness is keeping God's word and not denying his name, which pretty much goes hand in hand. You know where most Christians fail? Knowing the word of God and doing it. I'm going to say that one more time. Do you know where most Christians fail? Knowing the word of God and doing it. It's not that complicated, you guys. It's just knowing God's word, which I think so many of you are growing very rapidly in knowledge of God's word. But then the second part of that is probably harder. Because head knowledge is one thing. Execution is quite another. I wrote that book. Um, Many of you have read it. And it's a uh, suit up, putting on the full armor of God. And that's one of the things I tried to say in there is, is, you know, we can have all kinds of head knowledge, but unless we put on the armor of God, you know, sometimes you say the armor of God and people roll their eyes. I know, I know, I learned those pieces in Sunday school. Yeah, I know, but you got three darts sticking out of the front of you right now. So I'm not sure <laughs> how you've been putting those on. You may be hanging your hat on them, but that's about, that's about it. Jesus said, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. John 8.51. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. John 14.23. Jesus said in John 14.24, he who does not love me does not keep my words. In John uh, 15.20, he said, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me? Look, everything comes down to this. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me master and then have no intention of obeying me? Sometimes I wonder why people walk into Christian churches every Sunday if their intention is to leave and go sin. Now, Christians are people who sin. We all would admit that. Hopefully, we're sinning less, but there's no sinless Christian. But when Christians sin, they feel conviction, and then they want to repent and get right. Amen? But some people sit in churches week after week, and when they leave, they know they're going back to their sin, and they have no intention of changing. You know, one of the graphic images that the Bible uses about this kind of person is a dog returning to its vomit. Now, that's that's gross, isn't it? I'm a dog lover, but I have to tell you, whenever my dog has done that, I'm like, oh, what are you doing? Stop. You know, this is something that we need to be thinking about. The Lord doesn't want us to go back to the old things, but to embrace the new ways, the new bread of heaven. So be thinking about that as you consider Jesus, the Lord of the church, calling upon the church to align our ways Hey, I'm Pastor Michael Lance, and this is Walk in Truth, and there are a lot of resources available to you online to help you in your study of the Bible, and especially the book of Revelation. There's a lot of information in this book. It can be a bit overwhelming at times, but one of the things that you can do with Revelation is keep going back and looking at it and meditating on the Word. There's a blessing associated with that. Check out the Walk in Truth store to get some of the DVD teachings and CD teachings on Revelation. There's some other really cool stuff there on the website as well. You can check it all out when you go to walkintruth.com and click on the store tab. Hey, we'll come back tomorrow to hear the conclusion of the teaching about Philadelphia's faithfulness. And I pray that God will help us to be found faithful. Until then, tell a friend what you're hearing. Keep us in prayer. Consider partnering with us, and we'll catch you tomorrow. God bless you. Remember, you can listen to today's program and previous ones whenever you want on our website, walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.